week five of the college football season. We're going to be talking all about it right here on the newest edition of the College 12-Pack. I'm your host, Patrick Conn. With me, as always, Tyler Natuno from LSU Tigers Wire. Man, and I got to tell you, when we had sat down and kind of talked about our pre-show, we, we talked about games that we wanted to talk about, and then something happened, Tyler. Uh, it became official. Uh, Michigan State has officially fired Mel Tucker for cause, uh, mostly due to the fact that he admitted uh, to his extramarital affair. Uh, and, and, and what is only can be described as the worst bag fumble in the history of college football, college sports. I don't, I don't know. Tell, I, I don't want to make light of a situation because what has transpired at Michigan State is horrendous. Um, just everything involved. But when you look at everything and just the way that Mel Tucker's lawyers have tried to go about this and, and what they were saying, oh, it was consensual. That is still highly immoral. It, it goes against everything that Michigan State has come out and said that, you know, they've had their own black eyes in the past. But if you look at it right now, they're, they're trying to move past that. And if if you look at what they're doing and what Mel Tucker did, this was the right move. I mean, especially given the reason why Miss Brenda Tracy was brought in uh, to talk with this football team and, and create a, a relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, not just the biggest bag fumble in the history of college sports, but literally maybe the biggest one I've ever seen um, in any industry. Look, this is always how this was going to end. Um, not surprised in the slightest, you know, Michigan state basically telegraphed this move uh, a couple weeks ago. So not really surprised that it's happening. And I mean, you, so obviously Tucker's accused of sexual misconduct, but that doesn't even really matter at this point in terms of how Michigan state's proceeding, because like you said, in his own defense that he put out, like, like when Michigan state, what they cited when they fired him for cause they're citing his own admissions. They're not cite, even citing the allegations against him because by his own admission, he had an extramarital affair with a vendor of the university, uh, which is highly unethical, especially as Michigan State noted, you know, it becomes even more egregious given what she was brought in to do uh, as a vendor for the program. So they didn't even really need to, to prove the, the sexual misconduct stuff or have that Title IX hearing take place next month because it doesn't even really matter at this point. He admitted to the affair and to the, uh, the, the relationship with a vendor of the university. So I mean, he really put himself in an impossible situation here. Um, you know, it's not making light of it to say that it just absolutely foolish behavior on his part. I don't know how he thought he would ever get away with this. Um, you know, be someone in the position he's in, especially someone who is underachieving with the contract he has. Of course, they would take an opportunity like this to get rid of him. I mean, look, it just all around terrible situation. Um, you know, awful if the allegations are true. And even if his side of the story is true, it doesn't even really matter. And that's why they're getting rid of him for cause. Um, and just, just absolutely unreal situation. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. They're taking the opportunity. It's an underachieving program. Uh, spent, since that great year he had, that what was his second year on the job, where he got the transfer portal and he was able to, to kind of build that in that season of 2021, uh, really nothing since. And, and we saw what it was in 2022, and this year hasn't started well at all. Uh, for them uh, in terms of maybe the expectation of where they would be under Mel Tucker in year three and four. And there really wasn't any of that. But 
just be you know just because this came out it, it was almost fortuitous it was almost you know just fell in the lap against the Michigan State to find a way to get out of that contract but also at the same time this is the right thing to do based on everything that's transpired in East East Lansing uh, and really there's nothing more that can be said about it and, and now they have to move forward you know they're going to continue on with an interim staff and then obviously begin the coaching search, which uh, there will be a lot of names thrown about, and we'll kind of see which way they want to go uh, in that, and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But as far as this week, week five, we're going to start off with the game of the week. Game day's hosting it anyway, so we'll call it the game of the week. Notre Dame at Duke, just kind of Tyler wanted your thoughts on, on kind of where your head is uh, when you look at this matchup. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think this is a really pivotal matchup uh, for Marcus Freeman, you know, only amplified by the way that game ended last week. They really can't afford to lose this game on the road. Um, But I will say, you know, Duke, really good defensive football team. I mean, Mike Elko, fantastic defensive mind, one of the best in the entire sport. We saw the game plan he had for Clemson in week one. Um, It worked really well. But with that being said, this just from a talent perspective is not going to be the same level of challenge um, that we saw, you know, Notre Dame faced last week against Ohio State, a defense that maybe is the best in the country right now. So it's going to be tough. Uh, Certainly won't be the same level of difficulty, though, especially against a Notre Dame offense, by the way, that's a lot tougher than anything Duke has had to to play. You know, even Clemson has has potential, but that was still Kate Klubnick making his second career start. You know, not the same as Sam Hartman, who started, I think, maybe the most games of anyone in the country. If not, he's way up there. Um, You know, looking at Duke, I I also think, you know, offensively, they might have some trouble. You know, Riley Leonard, the quarterback, you know, is a good quarterback, can make some plays with his legs, too, has been really efficient this year. Um, Not crazy productive. Like, I was surprised when I was doing stats, looking at the stats uh, on the year for this game. I thought I was, like, missing something because he only has two passing touchdowns on the year, no picks. Um, You know, has been really efficient. But if you look at that Clemson game, it was his least efficient outing by far. Uh, he was like 16 of 33, I think, something like that. And he it was by far his lowest quarterback rating of the year. So that's a little bit concerning to me. You know, when you look at who else they've played, it's, it's not much. So I think in the one game they played, they struggled a little bit offensively, really needed to take advantage of turnovers in that game. I'm not sure Notre Dame's going to make those same mistakes. So I, I do like them to win this game and bounce back. Yeah, it's going to be tough to kind of go against Notre Dame uh, in this matchup. They're looking for a, a bounce back opportunity. And like you said, like when you look offensively at Duke, they're not world beaters by any means. Uh, but I, I've kind of been waiting for that Riley Leonard breakout performance this year. We saw how he played down the stretch last year. This is a great opportunity for him. However, I don't know that it's going to be enough. Uh, but I, I am really interested to see kind of how Notre Dame defense reacts to having to try to corral a more mobile quarterback than they've probably seen this year. Uh, I think Leonard has – I think more than anything, I think Leonard brings something on the ground that will allow them to take advantage. But like you, I have a hard time going up against, going against Notre Dame this week. Um, you know, obviously I picked Ohio State to win last week. Bounce back performance this week. I think they get it done uh, out there in Durham and in front of a capacity crowd where the game day is going to be. Now – the opposite of game day is going to be the big noon kickoff. And once again, 
Big noon kickoff is going to be featuring a Colorado game this week. We have USC coming in. Caleb Williams, undefeated USC, now going to face a Colorado team that is coming off a game where they were licking their wounds. They lost 42-6. to We've talked about that game. Uh, the interesting part here is I think these teams are very similar in terms of good offense, really bad defense. If I'm a betting man, Tyler, whatever the over is in this game, and I haven't checked the numbers, I'm betting the over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure the over set pretty high, but I'm, I'm with you there. Look, I, we've talked about USC's defensive problems. They're pretty, they're pretty clear. You know, you gave up 28 points to Arizona State and a backup quarterback last week. <clears throat> You know, that's a team that got shut out the prior week by Fresno. So serious concerns about that side of the ball for USC, I would say. Um, you know, I expect Colorado to do a lot more offensively in this game. I don't think, you know, I think when we're trying to figure out what this team's going to be uh, once it kind of hits the meat of its Pac-12 schedule, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle between like what it was doing against Nebraska versus what it did last week. And I think, you know, I don't think USC's front is going to is going to be nearly as difficult for them to handle you know, I will say one thing that is interesting about USC's defense, you know, ranks in the middle of the road uh, in most stats, but they actually are, are good at getting pressure on the quarterback. They rank third in the nation in sacks right now, averaging about four a game. So that is interesting, you know, in a game where I think Colorado, most of their problems stemmed from how much pressure Shador was under. He got sacked seven times. Granted, you know, when you look at who USC's played so far, as, as much as Colorado has issues up front, this still is probably the most talented offense uh, by a pretty wide margin that they've faced. So I'm really curious to see, you know, how they handle that challenge. Um, you know, I will say USC is going to be able to score in this game. They can score on everyone. Travis Hunter, it sounds like, is not playing. Um, I'm not sure how much of a difference that would have made. I, I don't think Travis Hunter is single-handedly slowing down Caleb Williams. Uh, you know, look – I'm going to, I'm going with a bold prediction in this game. Actually, I'm not picking Colorado to win. I'm not there, but what I will say, I think it's close. And I say they keep it within a touchdown. I think it's a one score game. So you're not buying the 21 and a half point spread that bet MGM is giving uh, in this game. That was a bigger spread than Oregon had, right? Wasn't Oregon 20 and a half. I believe it was 20 and a half, uh, yeah. and, but the over under is 73 and a half. And I would probably go over on that. I think this oh, is yeah. a high scoring affair in this game. It, it, I really want to see who can make enough plays in this game. Uh, ultimately I'm going to lean on Caleb Williams here, I think. Uh, but I'm, I'm with you and I, I, I like your bold prediction. I think it's probably within 21 points. I don't know if I'd say within a score, uh, but I do like it there. I do like what you're saying there. That that's going to be interesting. Interesting. Another Pac-12 game that's really got my intrigue is actually going to happen on Friday night. We got Utah going to Corvallis uh, to face Oregon State, uh, a Utah team that we haven't seen Cam rising yet. And through four weeks, they haven't really needed him just based on how that defense has been playing. Uh, the offense has not been doing anything that hurts them. Defense is helping secure wins and, and really we saw DJU really struggle last week. They needed that late rally late against Washington State to even make that game look competitive. It wasn't near as close as the score. I think Oregon State's going to struggle again this week, and this is actually my lock of the week. I'm taking the Utes on the road in Corvallis on Friday night to win this football game. Yeah, I think you're going to get that one right. Look, uh, you know, we're on Cam Rising Watch. We're kind of going to be in, on Cam Rising Watch in these next couple weeks here. He might play in this game. It sounds like things are trending towards no. 
Um, he's been splitting reps in practice, apparently, it sounds like, but uh, still kind of waiting on that all clear to actually play in a game. I'm not sure we'll know when that returns happening literally until he runs onto the field with a helmet. So I think it would be safe, a safe assumption to plan on Nate Johnson playing in this game. Um, but, you know, Nate Johnson's done the job. You know, Bryson Barnes got the start in the Florida game, sort of got benched in the Baylor game. Nate Johnson's definitely the more mobile guy, can create more with his legs. So he's done a good job, you know, holding it down. But to me, this Utah team is just so anchored by its defense. You know, they're a team that's always good defensively, always really just well-coached and organized. That's kind of been the case under Kyle Whittingham always, especially in this kind of current era they're in. Um, but I think this defense, this year's defense, might be a level above even where they've been. I think this literally might be an elite defense. I'm not 100% sure about that, but, like, I mean, they're the only team so far that's been able to hold Florida's run game in check. I thought that might have had more to do with Florida I'm thinking it might just be more about Utah. And then, you know, especially looking at last week, a really promising quarterback. I think a guy that you and I are both really high on the long-term trajectory for and Dante Moore absolutely couldn't do anything in that game. Shut him down. I think he threw a pick six on the first play from scrimmage. It was just a bad game. Couldn't do anything. 14 to seven. Utah is just so good defensively. And, and DJ is a guy who we've seen struggle against good defense. We, we know he's mistake prone. You know, he, he struggled last week against a Washington state team. That I don't think is nearly as good defensively. Uh, so yeah, I like Utah to win this game. I'm not sure it'll even be that close of a game. And really when you talk about Utah, Kyle Whittingham, I don't think he gets enough praise nationally just for how good of a coach, how consistent he is. He's, he's probably going to lose a game or two, but at the end of the year, Utah usually is one of those programs, especially out in the Pac-12. Um, they've won it the last two years, and there's no reason to believe that they won't be in the mix again this year based on how that team plays. And, and you really just a hat tip to what Kyle Whittingham is doing in Salt Lake City. Okay, this is another game that's interesting. It's kind of a rematch of a couple of years ago with an upset. We have Kansas at Texas, and, and I know uh, – Tyler is going to be using this for his lock of the week. But I think this is interesting. This is the first time they've met in Austin since that 2021 matchup where Jared Casey, uh, a, a walk-on, caught a two-point conversion to win 57-56 against Texas. And I don't know if you remember, he started in an uh, Applebee's commercial where he said, hey, you always got to go for two. Uh, you know, a great story uh, for NIL and things of that nature, but also – you know that Texas has had this game circled for two years. They want revenge at home, uh, and they want to do what they did to Kansas last year in Lawrence when they won fifty-five to fourteen. Yeah, hundred percent. You're not. You're not. You know, say what you will, but you're not going to catch Texas napping in this game. I don't think. Um, but you know, this is a really big opportunity for Lance Leipold. You know, obviously he won the Texas game two years ago, but this would be a win of a much different caliber than that one was, um, especially given the trajectory his program is currently on, um, you know, they're four and oh, and, and that's not even like a surprising thing. Like that, it was a shock last year when they started the season five and oh, right now they're four and oh, and it's like, yeah, like they've been better than all the teams they've played, which is a wild thought. I, I think this is going to be a really tough game for them though. You know, their defense actually has been really good so far this year. I think it ranks in the top 25 right now, at least in terms of uh, yards. But I mean, you know, that's against the only two power five teams they've played are Illinois and BYU. Um, neither of which are really uh, world beaters offensively Texas and Quinn Ewers and, and, and um, you know, just their whole group. It's going to be a really tough challenge. I think for Kansas this week, uh, I, I don't really, 
think they've got it. You know, even though I like Jalen Daniels, you know, I think I think he has the potential to stress this Texas defense, maybe even more than Alabama did in some ways. You know, uh, obviously less talented, but just a more dynamic offense. I still just think Texas has too much. You know, especially coming off the way they played on the road against Baylor last week. That game was never in doubt. They're playing good football. I think they pull it out at home. Yeah, you look at Kansas, and it really is the Jalen Daniels uh, running the show at quarterback. You had Devin Neal at running back. He's really good. They've got a pair of, of defensive backs who are really good with Kobe Bryant. We saw him last week with with the uh, fumble, uh, forced fumble, fumble recovery for a touchdown, had another interception. Uh, I, you know, I think they have the pieces in place and really got to like what Lance Leipold is doing there at Kansas. However, when you look at Texas offensively, you, like you talked about Quinn Ewers, you, you know, you, Jonathan Brooks, C.J. Baxter, and we haven't even got to J.T. Sanders, who's probably the best uh, receiving tight end in college football not named Brock Bowers. Uh, you look at the wide receivers with Xavier Worthy. You look at you know uh, Whittington, who's been there for several years, A.D. Mitchell, who came over. I mean, these guys can come in droves. They've just got so many weapons. And then defensively, you know, Jalen Ford, who might be one of the best linebackers in the country, uh, probably should have been defensive player of the year last year in the Big 12. Honestly, just up and down, I think they're just supremely talented. And that's why I don't think, for, for a variety of reasons, one, you're not going to catch them napping again. Uh, but, I, but I like Texas in this game. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm willing to go seven, that 17.5-point spread there. Uh, but I still think that Texas wins this game by at least two touchdowns. Uh, I don't think it's going to be relatively close, and it won't be a, exactly a bad loss for Kansas. The first, you know, the first loss of the year, losing to Texas, who right now most people have in the college football playoff if things continue the way they're going. Uh, but let's get into the next game, an LSU game at Ole Miss, and this is an interesting game. Both teams have a loss on the year. LSU lost the first game of the year. Ole Miss is coming off a game in which they were close to Alabama, but then Alabama took off in the second half and that defense absolutely shut down uh, that Ole Miss offense, Jackson Dart. Now, going into this game, I'm I'm hoping to get another iconic photograph from Harold Perkins. Uh, Tyler, I know you know exactly what I'm talking about as he stands over uh, Jackson Dart last year. Uh, that was just an iconic photo. Oh, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that photo on LSU Wire over the last year. It's been a lot of fun to have that one in my back pocket. But, yeah, I think, you know, it is, it's a really interesting game. I think it's an important game for, for Lane and Ole Miss because, like, you know, we talked about last week, he's really struggled in those big games. You know, obviously couldn't get it done last week. And now if you lose this game, you know, this one's at home. You kind of got embarrassed by LSU last year in a game where – you know, LSU hadn't really emerged yet. That was kind of a surprising result at the time. This time you're playing at home. They really need to win this game because if they don't, I mean, the SEC West, it's early, but I mean, it, it really would be looking like a two-team race already at that point between LSU and Alabama. So I, I think it's really important that Ole Miss finds a way to, you know, if not win this game, at least make it tight. But I think they got to pull it out. But I, I don't love their odds of doing that. You know, I think you know, like you said, Alabama shut them down uh, offensively. I don't think LSU's defense is nearly that good. We saw them struggle a lot last week against Arkansas and KJ Jefferson. You know, Jackson Dart, not quite as a tough of a guy to bring down as KJ Jefferson is, which is a lot of the issues they were having defensively. But, you know, still a guy that can make things happen, you know, running the ball had been pretty good this year prior to that Alabama game. So, you know, I think there's reason to be optimistic there. 
maybe a little bit less reason to be optimistic when you look at the run game, though. I think, you know, with Quinchon Judkins, I think without good they were last year, we expected that group would be better this year. It really hasn't been. And then you look at an LSU front seven that is pretty good, has stopped the run well. I think that's going to make things really tough and put a lot of pressure on Jackson Dart, but against an admittedly, you know, questionable secondary. I think the real question, though, here is, is can LSU just score at will in this game? Like they have in pretty much every game. I mean, had a slow start last week, but, you know, with Jaden Daniels and the receivers they got, you know, Malik Neighbors is so good and love to cover and bracket him. And when you do that, they've got guys like Brian Thomas Jr. that are going to make you pay. You know, I think Ole Miss's defense is better than it was last year. I thought it held up okay against Alabama, but this is just a completely different level of test. Um, and I think LSU probably wins this game by somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10 or so points. You know, you look at this game and, you know, Ole Miss has been good this year, but they have not played a quarterback the caliber of Jaden Daniels yet, and they haven't gone against a duo the caliber of Jaden Daniels and Malik Neighbors. You could throw Brian Thomas in there. Their tight end, Mason, uh, does well as you know in, in his spots as well. And obviously the run game has gotten better with Logan Diggs. Uh, defensively, like we said, yeah, we know about the secondary, but, you know, how does Harold Perkins make an impact? You know, you know, Mason, how does he make an impact in this game? I do like Ole Miss, but I don't like them enough to win this football game. I've got LSU by a touchdown, at least in this game. I just don't think that that Ole Miss has, has will have it in them to go shot for shot with, with LSU, considering just how well this LSU offense plays. It's a tough one for me, but I'll go with LSU here. Now we're going to go stay in the SEC. We got another game. We're going to talk about your Florida Gators here, uh, Tyler. Florida against Kentucky in Lexington. Uh, how do you feel about this game as you really look at it? I know this, these are two teams that go back and forth. Uh, you know, there was a longstanding dominance by, by Florida, kind of been snapped in recent years. Did they get back on that on that winning side this week? Yeah, you know, since they ended that streak in 2018, Mark Stoops has kind of had Florida's number. You know, they've won three games since then um, in the series. I think I do, looking at this matchup, I really think it's a potentially very good matchup for Florida's defense. You know, I've been very bullish on Florida's defense, um, and I think that's backed up by the facts. You know, they right now are statistically the best defense in the SEC and one of the best in the entire country. I think that's probably a little bit skewed from games against McNeese and Charlotte, but I don't think by a ton. I mean, I think it's still a really good unit. And, you know, Kentucky's about as untested as a Power 5 team can be when you look at their schedule. I mean, it's three games against G5 and FCS teams, pretty bad ones too. And then um, uh, Vanderbilt is their only SEC game they played. And I still think even given that schedule, there's been some signs of potential issues. You know, obviously this team brought back Liam Cohen, the guy who kind of engineered the really good season with a transfer and Will Levis in 2021 had a drop off without him last year. Now he's back, you know, trying to do the same thing with Devin Leary, a guy who was really good at NC state when he was healthy has sort of struggled a little bit this year, you know, with efficiency, especially in decision-making, you know, even in a big win over Vandy last week, uh, had two interceptions had, you know, not, wasn't super efficient. They've got a pretty good running back in Ray Davis, a transfer from Vandy. But, you know, I think Florida can stop the run pretty well. I think it's going to be hard for Kentucky to do things in this game. To me, the matchup really hinges on can Florida run the ball? You know, uh, they really weren't able to do it at all against Utah. And that's why that game went south as bad as it did. 
Um, but, you know, against Tennessee, they were able to do it, you know, pretty much all game, or at least in the first half and, and got, jumped out to a big lead. And we know this Florida passing offense, you know, not really because of even Graham Mertz. He's been fine, but it, it, it's not explosive. They don't really hit a lot of big plays. They don't really try to. Um, so you're not going to get a lot of chunk plays from the passing game. You're going to have to be able to run the ball consistently. Um, and, you know, I also can't ignore that Florida hasn't played. I was thinking about it this week. They haven't played a normal game, like a, just an easy, stress-free, normal game in Lexington since like 2013. It's been a decade. These games always get weird. It's a noon game. I can't really confidently say this, but I do think Florida wins. I like the matchup for them on paper, but uh, this game always seems to get weird. Yeah, no, my biggest concern uh, is really Devin Leary. Uh, You know, he's thrown five interceptions already this season. Uh, My big question, you know, if Florida's defense is as good as they are, uh, they're going to get opportunities to get the ball from Devin Leary. And how do they do that with the offense? How do they attack that? Is it ETN? Uh, Are they doing it throwing the ball? That's really where I look at it. I, you know, defensively, I think Florida is superior. Uh, to what Kentucky has, even though in recent years it kind of seemed like it was flipped. Uh, I, I'm going to lean towards Florida here just because I, it's how much do I trust that Devin Leary won't turn over the football to uh, to an aggressive defense, and I don't have a lot of confidence in that. So I'm going to grow with you this time. I'm going to uh, go Gators this week against Kentucky. All right, now we have the annual game in Jerry World, Texas A&M. Arkansas. Arkansas struggled a little bit the last couple weeks, losing some close games to BYU and then against LSU with that field goal late in that game. Playing against a Texas A&M team that had a tough loss against Miami early on. They've looked a little bit better the last couple weeks, but now the big whammy hit them uh, on Wednesday as we were sitting down to record this the report that Connor Wegman is done for the season. They're going to be going with a guy that you're somewhat familiar with on the LSU beat. Max Johnson transferred after the 2021 season, uh, went went with his brother to Texas A&M. Now he's going to be the quarterback. He's only played in a handful of games the last two years, but uh, in, in when he went into the game this last week against Auburn, he looked pretty good, 7 of 11 didn't really have to do too much as they rolled right along. How, how are you looking at this game and who has the edge here with a team that's struggling versus a team that's breaking in a new quarterback? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the Wegman news was a real gut punch, I think for Texas A&M because it just didn't seem like it was going to be that serious. You know, the initial kind of reports were MRI was negative. He's day to day. We'll see how he's, we'll see if he's ready to go against Arkansas um, and then today, as we're recording Wednesday, you know, they find out the injury is more severe than they realized. Um, sounds like maybe a three and a half ish month recovery process. So probably done for the year. Pretty unfortunate for them. Luckily, they do have a backup in Max Johnson, who's about as experienced a backup as you'll find in college football, especially in the portal era. You know, this is a guy that started a lot of games in his career, sort of up and down, you know, had some good moments, had some not so good moments. Um You know, but also a guy that was, you know, the starting quarterback for this team last year before he got hurt, that kind of opened the door for Connor Wigman to play down the stretch. Um, But I think I think they'll be able to manage it. okay. I mean, Max Johnson came in and played really well, I thought, last week um, against Auburn, you know, granted, probably an easier uh, opponent than Arkansas, but an Arkansas team that has problems, you know, defensively, especially offensively, maybe they're dangerous. You know, I think we saw last week, maybe some signs of life there, 
you know, I think this is a really important game for both coaches. You know, Jimbo, it's kind of self-apparent. We don't really need to get into that too much. I think that everyone's sort of well aware of the situation going on with him. But then you look at, you know, Arkansas, I think the temperature on Sam Pittman, I think things were kind of trending negatively. You know, last week's game was promising, but you also had opportunities to win it and you didn't. So that's a little bit disappointing. And now if you drop this game, you know, you've now lost three in a row. It's hard to be very optimistic at that point. So I think Sam Pittman really needs to win this game to kind of right the ship here. And I think if Jimbo doesn't win this game, I think it's maybe a sign of bad things to come. But I do think A&M pulls it out, even with Max Johnson. I think I think they're I think their ceilings significantly higher than where they finished last year. Yeah. And the other thing that we haven't really talked about a lot, uh, the Bobby Petrino uh, aspect of this game, former coach of Arkansas, now the offense mm. coordinator at A&M. How bad does Arkansas want to stick it to A&M just because of Bobby Petrino? Uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Maybe maybe it's a more interesting game than I kind of feel like at this point, I kind of feel like A&M should win this game. Uh, but then again, uh, you never know with these rivalry games and in Jerry World, uh, there will be a lot of eyes on this game. Uh, this is an interesting game, and I didn't think that I would find this – would put this on my list – maybe a couple of weeks ago, but Alabama at Mississippi State. You know, I thought this was interesting. If you look last week at Mississippi State, it's almost like they hit the rewind button. If you look at that game against South Carolina, abandoned the running game. They threw the ball a lot. You know, they still lost the game, but it was a lot closer than maybe some would have thought given how their offenses played over the last several weeks. But it almost felt like it was more like Mike Leach's offenses as much as of their 519 total yards, 487 of it coming through the air. Uh, but they're going to have a lot of trouble throwing the football this week uh, as they host Alabama. Yeah, I think this is a potentially uh, really good opportunity for Alabama to get right. You know, I think it looks like they're maybe trending in the right direction. I think this team still has limitations, but I think it's maybe starting to hit its stride. Maybe Saban's sort of starting to figure out how he can win games with this group. Um, and I think against a Mississippi State team that has a lot of problems, I think they could really have a lot of success. I am really interested, though, like you said, uh, you know, what is Mississippi State doing offensively? I mean, last week was I don't I don't know if I've ever seen as stark of a, you know, off 180 in offensive philosophy midseason as what they did last week. I mean, literally, yeah, like you said, it looked like the old Mike Leach air raid offenses. I mean, they, Will Rogers coming into that game, his attempts in each game of the year, the first three games. 29, 17, 28. He threw 48 passes against South Carolina on Saturday through for 487 yards. That's a season high by a mile, uh, by more than 200 yards. You know, and they were competitive in that game. You know, they, they they really gave South Carolina a game. And, you know, credit to Zach Arnett for, obviously this isn't what he really wants to be doing in an ideal world, but he recognizes the personnel he has on his roster. And, you know, the way this team is going to have to play on offense if it wants to find success this year. The problem with that, though, is kind of like you said, um, you know, the limitation with the air raid has always been it gives you a pretty high floor, but the ceiling isn't great. And it's hard to beat elite teams doing that. And this is maybe an elite Alabama defense. I don't think you're going to find the same kind of success you did against a South Carolina team that clearly has some issues defensively. So I think this is a really tough matchup for Mississippi State. I think Alabama doesn't really struggle with this one, even on the road. 
I don't think Griffin is going to have a seven receptions for 256 yards, going for 36 and a half yards a pop. Not going to happen against that Alabama defense, but I'm still intrigued to see which offensive philosophy they go with uh, against an Alabama team who really shut down Ole Miss, who we we would all always say is a much better offense than Mississippi State. Um, so we'll we'll see how that plays out. Uh, speaking of South Carolina, there's a rematch of last year's game, which has a lot of Vols fans uh, intrigued. They've circled this game. You, you know that they have. Last year, South Carolina, Spencer Rattler really ended Tennessee's shot at a uh, college football playoff appearance uh, opportunity to play for an SEC title. Uh, you know, obviously they, they didn't beat Georgia, but losing this game last year really hurt them. And obviously this was when – um, they lost uh, their their best player in Hendon Hooker, and the offense never really felt the same after that. Uh, you you know the balls really want to get after South Carolina this week. Yeah, I mean the question of the hour is can they do it again? You know, um, the Hendon Hooker injury was unfortunate, but it wasn't why Tennessee lost this game last right. year. You know, the game was well in hand at that point. So South Carolina came into that game and played. You know an incredible game, had a great plan. Spencer Rattler had the game of his life. I'm not saying I expect him to do that again, but I will say he's, I think, very quietly having a very nice start to the year. You know, a guy that was really volatile last year, you know, really struggled, had a lot of multi-turnover games. That's not been a problem as much this season. You know, he's really taking care of the football a lot more. And I think it's going to be a tough test for Tennessee. I think Tennessee defensively is going to have to have a much better game than they did against Florida. I was really disappointed. I thought they didn't adjust well at all against a team in Florida that there's no secrets. I mean, everything they're doing, they put on tape. Like it's very obvious. They want to run the ball. They, you know, you know what they're going to do. Tennessee wasn't able to adjust to it. And this is a much more dynamic South Carolina offense. They can hurt you in a lot more ways. It's a big test for a defense that I have some questions about. Um, I do think, though, like I said, this is an opportunity for Tennessee's offense to play a lot better. You know, we have questions about South Carolina's defense uh, after they gave up almost 500 yards. You know, you let Mississippi State's offense wake up against you, you know, especially passing the ball. Um, That's a concern going into a game against a Tennessee team that can do what they can do through the air. Uh, And I think, like I said, I, I think Florida's defense might be just really, really good. And, you know, Tennessee's offense has been a bit sluggish in the other games it's played, but it's hard to read into those G5 and FCS games in general. And I think with Tennessee, it's especially hard because of what they do. You know, as much as we talk about the pass against those teams, they run the ball down your throat until you prove you can stop it. And a lot of those teams just can't. So Joe Milton hasn't had to do a lot passing the ball. I think we're going to see a very different look in this game than we saw against like say UTSA last week. Um, So I'm very curious if South Carolina can, have some of the same success they did last year, but I'm honestly not that optimistic, mostly because I'm not sure they can stop Tennessee. My big X factor in this game, if there's one guy that Tennessee has got to stop to win this football game, I think is Xavier Leggett. He's really shown the ability to kind of take over in that wide receiver role uh, without Juice Wells there, and I really like the way that he's been playing this year. But, yeah, I, quietly, Spencer Rattler's having a really good season. He may not have the numbers of a Pennick Jr., or Caleb Williams with 15, 16 touchdowns, but uh, he's doing his best job. And and really, if you look at Tennessee, I haven't really been impressed with them at all this year. Um, this will be a, a 
an opportunity for them to kind of get back rolling again. Uh, they've got to win this football game, but I am not sure that I'm willing to go with Tennessee, even though this is in Knoxville. Uh, I might lean towards the Gamecocks in this one. You know, and our next game is actually we're going to go to the ACC Clemson at Syracuse. Clemson is a team that is really disappointed this year. Not to say that both losses in ACC play were huge. Um, you know, they had the turnovers against a a Duke team where they had opportunities to get back in that game. The margin of victory in that one doesn't exactly tell the whole story. And then you look at last week against Florida State, uh, had an opportunity to win that game late, missed field goal, uh, and then they go into overtime. Keon Coleman does what Keon Coleman does, uh, scores that touchdown, they lose. Clemson is in danger of starting 0-3 against the Syracuse team that's been pretty good this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is a tricky one. You know, Syracuse is, I think, having a really nice season. You know, Dino Babers, a guy that went into last season, certainly on the hot seat, sort of quelled that, had a 6-0 start, and then, you know, disappointed down the stretch, but that was enough to keep the job. But they're 4-0. They've looked really solid. You know, Garrett Schrader, who's a transfer from Mississippi State, has been there the last couple years. He's not, you know, an elite quarterback. He's not like a guy that's going to be playing on Sundays, but he's a lot of fun. You know, he's dangerous. He can run the ball. He's got six passing touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns, a legitimate threat, you know, running the ball on a team that, you know, lost a top running back from last season. You know, it's, it's really, uh, you know, intriguing, I think, going into a game against a Clemson team that I thought played pretty well defensively against Florida State. You know, I think did played at least well enough to win that game. You know, Florida State sort of, broke them down later, but I think, you know, they were just a couple offensive plays away from winning. So it's hard to fault the defense too much. I think there's a lot of potential. Um, and I like, you know, I like the way the offense is coming along with Kate Klubnik. Like I thought he played well last week. Uh, you know, but this is a tough game against a team that's given them fits, you know, in recent years, I think lost them up there in like 2017, almost lost to him last year, had to put in Kate Klubnik as a true freshman. And, you know, he let him back, but a team that's given them fits. I, I don't think Clemson starts 0-3 in SEC play. I really don't see it. And if they're 2-3, and I think there's going to – pressure's going to start ramping up on Dabo a little bit. I just – I don't really see it. I think they find a way to win this game. Bold prediction, Clemson starts 0-3 in ACC play. Uh, I'll tell you why. I really like to play a quarterback, Garrett Schrader, as both a passer and a rusher. They're leading rusher in terms of yards and touchdowns. Uh, he does a good job of spreading the ball around. If you look at their number of receivers, um, you know, unfortunately, they don't have a Rondé Gadsden uh, anymore. Their tight end is going to be done for the rest of the season. Uh, but Clemson's one of those teams that I've just seen too many struggles from them to start believing in them just yet. I, I, I do want to see more from Club Nick taking over this offense. Uh, so, I, I like I said, I'm going bold prediction here. I think Clemson's going to start 0 and 3. And uh, Dabo is going to have to take a, a long, hard look in the mirror to figure out what's going on with his football program. Now, here's a new segment we're going to do. It's called the temperature check. Uh, Tyler, give me one temperature check game and, and why this is going to be an important win for either team. Yeah. Um, so for mine, I'll do I'll go with uh, Pitt, Virginia Tech. So, I mean, I think this one's kind of self-explanatory. Both these teams are one and three. They've really struggled to start the year. You know, starting with Pitt, you know, Pat Narduzzi just hasn't been able to replicate. You know, you had a year where, you know, you were a really good offensive team. You win the ACC out of nowhere. Kenny Pickett gets drafted in the first round. 
And then you move away from that, you change offensive coordinators, and it just hasn't been anywhere near the same. You know, this is a team that lost to Cincinnati, it lost to West Virginia. It wasn't particularly competitive against, you know, albeit a pretty good North Carolina team. But, you know, it's it just it seems like they've fallen back to like a sort of malaise, and it doesn't seem like Pat Narduzzi seems to really care about it. And if they lose this game to a bad Virginia Tech team, um, it's going to be tough. And, and looking at Virginia Tech, I mean, this team just is bad. And I get Brent Pry had a tough job. Like, he took over a not great situation. I understand that. And I think there's some patience that he deserves. But this team just should be better than it is right now. I mean, it, it lost to Purdue. It got blown out by Rutgers. And it's coming off a loss to Marshall last week. I mean, they went 3-9 and nine last year. They're 1-3 right now. If you lose this game, I think it's pretty clear you're heading for another season of that sort of caliber. And say what you will about Justin Fuente. It was mediocre, but it never got this bad. He never had a 3-9 and nine season, and it seems like they're heading towards something like that again. Brent probably might be in trouble. You know, I can't fault you for that one. Uh, I'm going to go Texas Tech-Houston right now. Texas Tech was a dark horse for a lot of people to come out of the Big 12 as a potential Big 12 championship contender, uh, New Year's Six Bowl game representative. But they've had a tough start. Uh, Obviously, losing at Wyoming was tough. Losing a close one to Oregon. Uh, They they beat an FCS program in Tarleton State. And then last week against West Virginia, who's really started to play a lot better this year, Defensively shut him down. Tyler Shug, uh, broken fibula, going to be down for six to eight weeks at least. It might be the season for him. Uh, they got to turn to to Baron Morton, the young quarterback who who has all the talent in the world. He's just got to show it on the field. He hadn't really gotten a great opportunity. This is his opportunity. They have weapons. Taj Brooks, you know Cameron Valdez. Uh, you look at the wide receivers that they have. Uh, you're talking about Jaron Bradley, Miles Price. I mean, they have weapons up and down. Defensively, they have some good things, too. Uh, they just haven't really put it together this year, and so that's why I'm looking at this game for them. Uh, on the Houston side of it, this is absolutely abysmal. Uh, you're talking about a team in in Houston who beat UTSA uh, to start out the year, and UTSA right now is 1-3. They don't look as strong as, as maybe a lot of us would have thought. Um, yeah, they did play Tennessee and Houston. Um, you know, early on they played Army. They haven't really looked great. UTSA hasn't. Um, so that just even hurts Houston even more. They lose to Rice. They struggled uh, in several other games. Uh, obviously, beating Sam Houston uh, that was an expected win. But when, you, when really, when you look at, at the Cougars, they're nowhere near where, where they where you thought they would be. And uh, that's the reason why I think right now Dana Holgerson, uh, now that Mel Tucker's gone, he he might be the number one coach on the hot seat going into this game. Both of these teams need a win here. Uh, I think more so Houston needs to win uh, than, than Tech, but I don't think they get it done. Uh, I think Tech is too talented. I think Tech gets right this week, run the football more with Taj Brooks, who leads the team in rushing. Um, and so when I look at this game, that's my temperature check uh, for week five as, as both these teams need wins. Yeah, I think uh, I think you did a good job sort of laying out the, the whole case against Dana Holgerson, I guess you could say, you know, and I agree with that last part you said. I think it's important for Tech, but I think this is really a must win for Dana at this point. Um, if for nothing else, just because of what 
losing this game would sort of portend for the rest of your schedule in Big 12 play. Uh, probably not going to be a very good season if you drop this game. You know, on the tech side, like one and four would be disappointing. I think there's still reasons for optimism. I mean, Joey McGuire's landed the program's first five-star recruit. Like things are going to get better. There's going to be, you know, this is going to be still one of the less talented teams he's ever going to have have there. It does sort of seem like though the the kind of initial good feelings about Joey McGuire maybe are, are rubbing off a little bit and, and maybe it's going to be at least looking ahead to 2024 going to be really starting to be put up or shut up time. I mean, do you think, do you think that's fair? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, it's the, the hard part about college football and, and sports in general, it's what have you done for me lately? You know, we saw what they did last year and, and really what they were able to do to Ole Miss in the bowl game. Uh, but going into this year with the expectations, and this is a reason why as a tech guy, I didn't like the expectations because then you go into the games, you don't start winning. Fans get disappointed. Uh, you know, emotions are high. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think next year will really be a telling point. Year three will be kind of the big year uh, for Joey McGuire and this program. You know, but that's going to do it for this edition of the College 12-Pack. We'll be back on Monday as we recap these games. And then back next week, uh, Wednesday, as we get you ready for week six, which I'm excited about because we get to talk about one of my favorite games of the year, the Red River Rivalry in Dallas, Texas, on the Texas State Fairgrounds. It's going to be good stuff. All right, but for Tyler, I'm Patrick. We'll see you next week.